0: We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Um, it's good to be with you this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here at the church, uh, pastor over preaching and vision. So if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. Met some new faces today, and it's been, uh, it's been good to, to meet some of you. Um, it's been good to meet all of you, um, and those who are new especially. Um, we are looking at God's Word this morning, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to 1 John, the book of 1 John. It's near the back of your Bible, um, so if you've gotten to Revelation, come back a bit. We, together as a church, look at God's Word um, from a—we a, grab a book and go go through it from beginning to end. We've been in 1 John for a couple—yeah, no, uh, a couple months now. Um, we have one more week, so next week is our last week together um, before we hit Advent and, and spend some time celebrating— the, the coming of Jesus uh, here to earth. So um, one more week in this. If you um, uh, Here's a Christmas gift idea. There's a couple of the, the Bible journals out there, and they're free right now. So just grab one um, and take them and give them to somebody probably not a part of our church because they're going to know you got it for free. But uh, there's that. Um, we have been looking at 1 John, uh, a brief letter from John written probably to the Ephesian church to remind them, to encourage them. Um, that there is actually a way to know God. There's actually a way to, to know God and, and know the love of God in his Son. There were some who were beginning to leave the church based on false teaching, false teaching about Jesus, and so they were beginning to, to move away from the church. And this morning, John points all attention to Jesus. The passage we're about to look at points all attention back to Jesus, not that it wasn't before um, but it's very clear that, that, in the passage we'll read this morning, that all attention, the focal point, is Jesus. And so, 1 John chapter 5 is what we're looking at. If you have found it and you're able this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read from God's holy and inspired word. Verses 1 through 12 this morning. Chapter 5. Here's what God's word says. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testified: the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his Son. All this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is God's word. Amen, you may have seed. So much of John's letter revolves around a knowledge of God and a love for God, which is why we've named the series No Love. Um, And and a knowledge of God and a love for God leads then to an obedience to God's commands. That's been John's push. In a lot of ways, much of what John has written about so far has been active, hasn't it? Uh, to, To love God, to know God, to repent of sin, to obey his commands, and on and on. John has spent much of his time on the idea... Uh, uh, of these actions that we, can, that we can pursue as believers. He hasn't spent a lot of time at, at all on faith, on belief. Uh, faith seems to be this squishy, ambiguous idea. Uh, we know uh, a life with God is one of faith, in part we, because of what we talked about last week, that no one has ever seen God. So if no one's ever seen God, then it requires faith. We know a life with God is one of faith because not everything has yet been revealed to us. So we know that there is faith required. We can hear of eternal life because of what Jesus has already accomplished. And we can be certain that it's true because of what we've seen in God's word. But it requires faith to truly take all of that in. So in chapter 5, John gets to this conversation of faith. He begins to talk about faith. Faith can be, um, uh, to put it lightly, faith can be a challenge, right? Um, Who in this room has not struggled or or is not currently struggling with faith? We all have from time to time. Uh, We all do, And, and, and in this passage, we're reminded that faith begins and ends with Jesus. We wrestle with faith. In, in the low times of life, when things aren't going the ways that we would hope that they would go, we begin to wrestle with faith. Uh, who is this God? Is this who he is? And we wrestle with it. In, in the times of, of life that are, that are high and encouraging, we, we begin to move away from God altogether. And so we wrestle with faith. Faith, and we often do this, and John here tells us faith begins and ends with Jesus. And we've got to keep that in mind, that this life of faith is only possible because of Jesus. Everything he's already accomplished, our faith is anchored to Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in Galatians 2, where he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, hear this, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Do you see what Paul's getting at? Uh, The lives we now live in the flesh, these human lives that we now have, are lives of what? Faith. We live in faith. The very one who loves us and gave himself up for us. We live in, in faith of that. The life on earth with Jesus is one of faith, one of believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And so this is where John takes us, on the heels of the command, uh, uh, this command after command after command of loving one another. Remember that last week? 27 times the word love or some form of that, that word pops up in 15 verses, love. So on the heels of that, command after command... We move to the discussion about belief in Jesus. And all of our attention and all of our uh, affection is pointing at Jesus. And so John begins in verse one of chapter five to describe the audience. He, he just starts by saying, Well, here's the audience. Here, here's who I'm talking to. He's, a, he's about to point to a group of people, uh, point a, a group of people to Jesus and make significant claims about Jesus in this life of faith that, that we live. Now, who's the audience? What's the first word of the chapter? Come on. Everyone, everyone specifically who, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Remember, John's writing to the church in Ephesus, a church who's losing people, losing people due to an unbelief in who Jesus was, that that he wasn't God. John's writing to encourage the people who are left, the people who have remained in the church, He's writing to encourage people in their faith. He says, everyone who believes, everyone who's left, everyone who believes has faith in Jesus as God's son, Every, uh, has already experienced spiritual rebirth. We could say it this way. If you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, you believe that because God has already worked that in you to bring you to a point of spiritual rebirth. Why do you believe? Because God worked in you Uh, this faith to draw you to himself. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Secondly, uh, about the audience, John says in verse one, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Or everyone who loves God also loves others who have experienced this rebirth as well. That's the audience. If you've experienced rebirth from God, you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you have a love for God and for others. If that's you, you are the audience. And now that the audience has been set, John begins into what he wants to say, and it's this. Loving God, we obey. That's the direction. Loving God, we obey. He reverses the repeated argument a bit from what we've seen over the, over the last several weeks. This is how we know we love others, the other children of God, when we love God uh, throughout the letter we've seen John reassure his readers that they know God and it's obvious they love other when it's obvious they love other believers but here he reverses that he flips it over the other way so so what he's trying to say is, is both are vital right that that you would love God and and it's known that you love God by loving others and you love others and it's known that you love others because you love God both are vital it's obvious that you love other believers when you love God but the focal point is what is who I should say it's God not you. It's not others. It's God. Obedience to him. But who defines what it looks like for me to love God? Have you ever thought about that? What's it, how do I love God? What's that look like? How, how do I do that? We've defined what it looks like for me to love other believers. That feels more tangible. It's right here. It's right in front of us. I'm um, to love them sacrificially in the ways that Jesus has, has shown us, not wanting anything in return. I, I'm, I'm sacrificially giving. It's, humbl- it's out of humility. We know what it means to love others, and by God's grace, we're, we're growing in these things. We know what that looks like, but who defines what it looks like for me to love God? Because God doesn't need anything from us, right? Right? God's not looking for anything in return. He's not not wanting us to to bear his burdens. How am I to love God? Look at verse two again. He says, by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. Keep reading into verse three. For this is the love of God, or, or this is the love toward God that we do what? that we keep his commandments. John equates keeping God's commandments with loving God. You see that? He equates the two, keeping God's commandments with loving him. Now, why does John equate those two things? Here's why, very simple answer, because it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Bible. God equates those two things. He puts those things together. We'll, we'll hit just a few of these. I'll, I'll show you a glimpse. There, there's hundreds of verses that show us this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, uh, with all your might, and these words that I command you, you uh, today shall be on your heart right? Those things are pushed together. Deuteronomy 11, you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments. Those things are slammed together, You obey those things. Uh, I'm sorry, that was Deuteronomy uh, 11.1. Deuteronomy 11.3, and if you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Those things are, are shoved together, love and, and obedience. Joshua 22, only be very careful to observe the commandment that the law of Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to do what? Love the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways. We could go on, hundreds and hundreds of verses that show the love of God and, and keeping his commandments are slammed together. So how do we love God? At least in part, we love God by obeying what he's commanded us to do. Loving God, we obey. In our love for God, we obey. Now, our first thought is this, in, in that. Our first thought is, that's not a fun relationship, right? No one would enter into that relationship, humanly speaking, that's not a relationship I care to have. The only way that I can show my love for you is by doing everything you've asked me to do. So here's 500 things that I'm asking you to do. And you have to do them, and that's how you show your love. That's not something that we would jump into. Right? In fact, your love would then quickly become a duty, wouldn't it? Quickly become a chore. It would quickly become burdensome. But what does John say about our love for God shown through our obedience? Verse 3. He says his commandments are not burdensome. Not a burden. John knows exactly what we're thinking. That's a burden. No, no, it's not. It's not burdensome. When you you hear that to love God is to keep his commandments, you feel the weight of that. You, You sense that burden, right? But John says, no, it's not a burden. How can John say God's commandments are not burdensome? He can say that for a couple of reasons. One, as the Spirit uh, continues to work on us by grace, we grow to enjoy in obedience more and more. Have you experienced that? As the Spirit works on you, continues to press in on you, you, you begin to enjoy obedience more and more. It's not, not a chore. The Spirit's work in your life. It's not out of duty. It becomes a joy. And then, secondly, the, uh, God's commands are not burdensome because where we fall short, Jesus is perfectly obedient. As Jesus himself says, My burden is light, my yoke is easy. He's carrying that. That, that burden is not heavy. Our burden was placed on Him, and we're able to freely love by freely obeying. Loving God, we uh, obey. And John doesn't stop there. He, he continues on and, and says, believing in God, we overcome. We overcome sin and, and the evil, evil of this world. Verse four, he, he says, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. How? John, John tells us there is one way we have victory and we overcome this world. Do you see it at the end of verse four? What is it? Pause. What does he say? Our faith. How do we overcome? How do we have victory over the evil of this world, the sin in this world? Our faith. The world does not hold in high esteem love for others and love for God. And they have not uh, set themselves toward obedience to his commands. And we have victory over the things of this world. How? Our faith. It's not because we've decided to obey God and to have more faith. No, in fact, John says in verse 5, The one who is victorious is the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We have overcome the world in our love for others and our love for God because we have an advocate who has been ultimately victorious over the world already. Jesus, the Son of God. When our faith is firmly rooted in Jesus, not our own obedience, but when our faith is firmly rooted in Jesus, we too have overcome the world because our faith is in the one who has already overcome the world. Loving God, we obey. Believing in God, we overcome. And all of this goes back to one person. All of the attention is pointed to one person. Our obedience is weak, but Jesus is perfectly obedient. Right? Our victory of sin and the evil one in this world is weak, or should I say non-existent. Right? Our victory on our own is, is not there without the one Jesus who has already overcome that for us. So all of this, John's prepping us All of it is pointing our attention to Jesus. In fact, all of life's attention must be pointed to to Jesus. In this life, our faith is rooted in, grounded in, anchored in Jesus. But, But if we think Jesus is a weak God... And if we think that, that, that only on Sunday mornings for, for an hour and a half our attention is going to be on him, our faith will waver and shift and our eyes will increasingly become more and more on ourselves. Have you experienced that? Where you think, well, you know what, I'll reboot this on Sunday. It's Wednesday afternoon. I'll, I'll just reboot that on Sunday for an hour and a half, hour and 40 if he goes long, right? And, and we'll just reboot that again. And if that's the case, if that's where your faith is anchored for a little bit of time on a Sunday morning, it's going to waver it's going to shift, and our eyes will become increasingly on ourselves. When I begin to feel my faith shifting about, which I do, when I begin to feel my faith um, moving and, and, and shifting about, and the focus becomes uh, on me, my, my focus is less and less on Jesus, I, I have to, to snap out of that and reorient my own thinking. And, and a place I often go, there's several places in God's word where, where I would go, but one that I often go to is just to, to sort of kickstart my, my own eyes back on Jesus this is Colossians 1 where, where Paul says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Friends, when your your faith is shifting and wavering and moving about, we've got to refocus. We've got to reorient our hearts toward Jesus. In passages like this, this is all about Jesus. Our faith is anchored in him. And this seems to be John's point to to bring it all back together. It seems to be John's point in verses 6 through 12, pointing all of the attention back to Jesus. All of the truth at, at the end of the day is pointed at Jesus. There's solid, reliable, trustworthy testimony pointing to Jesus, the very one who holds our Faith. When there are many different angles of proof stacked up, it's evident that Jesus is who He says He is, and that's what John's doing here. He stacks up, up proof, almost like in a courtroom kind of setting, stacking up proof of his argument with several different witnesses or testimonies to the truth that that the truth that Jesus is fully God, that He's fully human, that He's the Savior of those who believe, and so John. Builds this case by giving this first, this threefold testimony concerning Jesus or about Jesus. Here, here's what I mean. You saw it as, as we worked through it, as we read through it. John begins by, by linking the discussion back to Jesus from uh, verse 5. He says in verse 6, This is he who came by water and the blood. Who is it that overcame? Jesus. So, so let's go back and talk about him. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. And then in verse 7 and 8, there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. So in those three verses, we see this threefold testimony about Jesus. All of the attention is pointing to Jesus. Reliable, trustworthy testimony pointing to Jesus. And there's three things. First, the water. This may seem strange to, to say it that way, but let me walk, walk through this and show you what John is getting at. We're told in verse 6 that Jesus came by water. Jo- John is referencing the truth that Jesus came to earth as a human, evidenced by his being baptized in water by John. In water. Right? and also having a ministry of baptizing others in water in preparation for the baptism of the Spirit that was coming. When John says here, Jesus came by water, he's simply saying, Jesus began and carried out his ministry by water, being baptized by water, baptizing others in water in preparation for the Spirit coming. So the water testifies that Jesus was on earth, fully God, fully human, being baptized, a physical element, the physical element of water. Jesus was human. We're also told that he came by blood, right? Showing that he's human, he died an atoning death for those who would believe. Jesus came to earth, was baptized, baptized others, and he died a cruel death on behalf of those who would believe. See what John's saying? He came by water, he came by blood. The problem, though, was this: that there were some in the Ephesian church who had broken away from the church, believing that Jesus only came as human, only came by water, and was not actually the atonement of our sins by by the shedding of his blood. Those who broke away from the church were comfortable saying Jesus was on earth and had an earthly ministry of baptism, but they weren't comfortable saying Jesus also paid the penalty for our sins through his death on a cross. And so John says in verse 6, Jesus didn't come just by water, He didn't come just by water only, but by water and the blood. Both have to exist. Both are true. Both are spoken of throughout Scripture. Our faith in Jesus is anchored in the Jesus who came to earth, yes, but to give his life to pay the penalty of sin's condemnation. Water and blood. Strange way of saying it, we may think, but getting into that, that's what John is saying. Now, our current context doesn't seem too far removed from John's, does it? We've talked about this over, over the last several weeks, but but people in our current context, our, our current cultural um, moment, want this part of Jesus, but not that part of Jesus. And there's this picking and choosing of what they want. They, they know he came to earth, and he uh, participated here on earth, and yeah, we need to be more like Jesus. Here on earth. But that, that part about sin and sin's consequences being death, and, and that death being a need to be, to be paid for by a Savior, that's less appealing. People don't want to get into that. And so when it comes to the truth about Jesus as the Son of God and sacrifice for sins, we, we can't pick and choose. John's getting at it here. It came by water and the blood. Each part is crucial to knowing and understanding who Jesus is and believing the testimony about him. There's a third testimony. There's a a third uh, way of speaking, witnessing about Jesus, the Spirit. John tells us that the Spirit is the one who testifies, or the, the Spirit is the one who speaks the truth to us. We have a a helper who testifies to the truth about Jesus. And John tells us that that spirit is truth. Can't take that for granted, right? Jesus left the spirit as our help in part to testify to us that Jesus is who he says he is. And so put those all together, this threefold testimony or this witness about Jesus, the water, the blood, and the spirit coming together to agree with each other. John tells us that. They agree. They're, they're all speaking the same thing. They're all telling the same story. There aren't, they're, they're not telling different stories about Jesus. It's all the same, anchoring our belief in the same truth, Jesus. I think for application here, um, to, to think through this, if you're wrestling in your faith, if you're struggling in belief, you're struggling in your faith, for for whatever reason that is, I think for application for us, we, it's simple, and, and it may seem um, uh, trite, but, but to think through it this way, to take time regularly to indulge in the testimony of all three of these. Maybe even this week, to begin to think through this, to take time to look at the ministry of Jesus here on earth, right, the water. What did Jesus do here on earth? What was his, what was his um, walk like here on earth? Uh, Ezra and I, several um, weeks ago, began reading through the gospel account of John in those first chapters. You just see Jesus' ministry here on earth, what that looks like. And so we began reading that with, with our boys and just focusing in on that. He came to earth, was baptized by the very, by the very water he spoke into existence. He came to pay sin's penalty of death by, by dying himself, shedding his own blood. Spend some time regularly taking in the truth of that testimony. He came to earth and he gave his life. That's what we do every week as we gather around these tables. We're, we're remembering that testimony. We're agreeing with that testimony that he, he gave his life. His body was broken. His blood was shed. Are, are you struggling in your faith? Take some time this week to study and to meditate on the testimony of the Spirit. The Spirit is truth and has been left by Jesus as our help that we would see more of Jesus. So begin, even even in the morning, to say, Spirit, would you show me more of Jesus today? As I open up the word, would you show me more of Jesus? We need all three of those testimonies that agree with one another, pointing to Jesus. John continues in verse nine to show us the testimony of God. Concerning Jesus, the testimony of God about Jesus. Not just those three, but but God jumps in as well and has testimony. In fact, John tells us that his testimony is greater than the testimony of man. The testimony of God is what? His word. Right? The truth of his word. Men and women have all kinds of things to say about Jesus, but if it doesn't line up with the testimony of God, to say it lightly, it's false. Our our belief in Jesus must be tied directly to the testimony of God, the Word of God, not simply our feelings about Jesus or the ways in which we've come to understand Jesus based on our own experience. No, God's testimony is greater than man's. Who needs to hear that this morning? God's testimony is greater than your testimony about who Jesus is. And so we look into that, the testimony of God, we're, we're given that. God's word is about the truth of his son. And so John says in verse 10, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever believes in the son of God has accepted the testimony of what? The water, the blood, and the spirit. It's all there. The the gospel message has taken root in the life of the one who believes that testimony, the truth of the gospel. And so John lays out the gospel. He shows both sides of it. Believe or don't believe. Those are the only two options. At the end of verse 10, he says, if you don't believe God, you're calling him a liar. If you don't believe the testimony of God about his own son, then what? You're you're calling him a a liar, and you think he's a liar because you don't believe the testimony he's given about his own son. And the context of John was those who were breaking away from the church were saying they believed in God, but they weren't so sure about that Jesus guy. Yeah, he came to earth, we'll we'll give him that. Uh, But what did he come to do? And in some ways, again, that's our current cultural setting, is that people want to believe in God in a higher power. Who have you met in Fort Collins who doesn't believe in some higher power, right? Now that may be in themselves, that may be in the mountains, that may be in something. Everyone wants to believe in a higher power, in a a God. When you bring Jesus into it, we have to then start talking about the reality of why Jesus came, right? That he paid the penalty of sin. What is sin? That we've offended God, right? And that's you, and that's me, and that's all of us. People don't like that. And so John says, you're making God himself a liar because God is being witness to his own son. He's pointing attention to his own son. Now this may sound really simple. You thought that other application was simple. Here's something that's even more simple. In your conversations with others, specifically mention the name Jesus. See what happens. Not just some higher power. Everyone wants that. Everyone believes that. But begin to talk about Jesus. Use the name Jesus. When someone asks about your faith, specifically mention Jesus. My faith is rooted deeply in the person and work of Jesus. Then there's questions to be asked, right? There's conversation to be had. There's testimony from God about Jesus. And so let's join with God in speaking about Jesus as well, knowing that faith in Jesus leads to what? leads to eternal life with him. And God's truth speaks to that as well. In fact, John ends this out, and he says that there's testimony of God concerning or about eternal life, concerning those who believe in his Son and those who don't. And what's the testimony? What's the testimony? John tells us in verse 11, very plainly. I want you to look at it. Verse 11, he says, this is is John does this over and over. He just tells, this is the testimony, right? So here we go. This is the testimony. God gave eternal life, and that life is in his Son. He goes on again very simply in verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. The water, the blood, the Spirit, God himself, all are are witnesses to the truth of the Son jesus christ they're all pointing to the son and and eternal life through jesus can you think of better proof that, that would that would focus our attention on jesus again put it in courtroom terms can you think of a better witness to bring to the stand to give testimony to the truth of jesus can you think of other witnesses that you would bring? But he came to earth, evidenced by the ministry here, through water. He came to earth to give his life, evidenced by the shed blood. He left the Spirit to help us. God, God himself gives testimony to the Son, and eternal life is in Jesus alone. Can you think of any better witness that you would put up there on the sand to say, yep, point to Jesus? We've got them here. We read this passage then as a passage of encouragement for those who are wrestling today in their faith, for, for, for those who are struggling in their faith, for those who, who who have, over the past two years, struggled in their faith. been a lot of us, for those who, not just over the past two years, maybe that's your life in general. It's been a constant struggle of, of, of faith. This life has worn you down. We read this passage, of, a passage like this of, it is one of encouragement. In our love for God, we obey by faith in Jesus. We, by the power of Jesus, overcome the world. We overcome sin, not on our own, but, but through the Spirit's work in us because he's already overcome it for us. All of that points to Jesus. All of the truth of God's word points to Jesus. Frank, can I just ask you this? We'll close here. Are you wrestling today with faith? If so, it's understandable and you're not alone. It, it's understandable and you're not alone. And that's why together we, we, we need one another. We need someone to say, yeah, I've wrestled with that as well. I've struggled through that too. And, and together we, we walk toward Jesus. We continue to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus, are you struggling this morning? Listen, you're not alone, and it's understandable that you are. And we'll, we'll um, just finish out here with the author of, of Hebrews. He points um, us to the encouragement of one another, challenges us to, to then shove off sin and endure, but, but all the while, we, we fix our eyes on, on whom? Jesus, right? Listen, listen to this as we close. Just close everything down. And hear this encouragement from the, the author of Hebrews. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, us together, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. There, it's before us, looking to say it together, looking to Jesus together, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, we are enduring together in a life of faith. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, it's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I live is a life of faith. So we endure together, eyes fixed on Jesus. God, I'm thankful this morning for your word. For John's, uh, for John's words to the church in Ephesus that are so timely even for us today. Your, your word is active and living and sharp and it, it's able to pierce our hearts and to get into all those places that, that we wouldn't um, really see as existing without the truth of your word. So I'm thankful for that. God, we're in a season where we need testimony after testimony after testimony about the, the, the truth of who Jesus is. Our faith wavers and our, our belief shifts and, and, and wanes and, and, and goes back and forth. And so often we, we try to figure this out on our own and we have your testimony, God, that's greater than ours about your son. He came to this earth lived a perfect life, died a death that, that we deserved, that in faith in Him we, we would have eternal life. And so my prayer this morning for those of us who are, are struggling in faith, struggling to believe that you, God, are good and that you're loving would you help us to believe? Would you encourage our faith? Would you would you help us where we don't believe? To believe. You've given your son. You love to the extent that you would give your son to pay a penalty that he did not deserve, but we did. We do. That in, in, in belief, we would have life with you. Would you encourage us in that? For my friend's here this morning who are really struggling to believe. God, would you encourage them? They've gone through hard things. Sickness. Financial problems. The the death of loved ones. Struggling to believe that you are a good God. Would you help us to believe where we struggle? Would we together as a church family fix our eyes on Jesus? We need your help in that. Spirit, would you help? As we sang, come, Spirit, move in power in us. All these things we pray and are able to pray because Jesus did come and give his life. Body broken, his blood shed so that we could be near. In his name we pray.